Hi, you're listening to the Handing On Our History podcast. In this series, you'll hear queer stories woven together from a collection of oral history interviews that took place across Tyneside in 2021. In this project, young LGBTQ plus people interviewed an older generation of lesbian and gay activists about what queer life was like in Newcastle back in the 1970s, 80s and 90s and what they got up to and how they affected change for the better. My name is Jess Alexander, my pronouns are he, they and I'm one of the interviewers. I'm Alice Thwaite, one of the project's creators and coordinators. So much has changed over the past 30 years and capturing the voices of those involved in creating the queer community has felt important. I wanted to set up Handing On Our History to make sure that we recorded older activists from Tyneside so that the stories from the past weren't lost. I wanted to bring younger and older queer people together as there are so few opportunities to talk across generations and understand where we have come from and how we got here and who we are today. As soon as I heard about the Handing On Our History project, I just knew I had to be involved. Growing up as a gay man in Newcastle, I was really lucky to have a really supportive queer family with loads of great connections to other queer people. But I almost felt like I took for granted how lucky I was to be raised in a really supportive environment. And actually listening to stories about people growing up queer in the 70s and 80s, it just was really eye-opening to me to really understand how much they had to fight for what we have now. I think I've been so privileged to be able to talk to so many people about their experiences and it just makes you realise how important it is that we learn from these stories and hear about the generation before us because I wouldn't have been able to be as queer and open today without the former generation and it just shows how much we still have to keep fighting and how much people were fighting before. On July the 23rd this year, a record 25,000 people took part in the Pride March through the streets of Newcastle, with thousands more supporters lining the streets to cheer us on. It was a very different story for the first Pride March here in the early 70s, when about 50 people bravely took to the streets to assert their existence, and received, at best, a bemused, and at worst, a hostile response from the onlookers in the city centre. It was incredible to find out through these interviews that Newcastle had marches so early on in the history of Pride worldwide. The very first Pride marches had taken place only a few years before in 1970 in several big cities in the US. This marked one year after the uprising against police harassment at the Stonewall Inn in New York that many considered to be the catalyst for the modern LGBTQ liberation movement. People took to the streets to demand their civil rights and to be out and proud and visible. The first UK Pride March was in London in 1972, and only a year later, a brave bunch of Newcastle queers were marching through the city centre and down Northumberland Street. Pride has become such an important opportunity for the LGBTQ community to come together and celebrate ourselves, but it is also an opportunity to remember the history of Pride, and the rights that were hard fought for and won, and the struggles that many of us still face. So, in this third episode of Handing On Our History, we look back at the story of Pride in Newcastle. First, we hear from Norman Powell and Tim Pickford-Smith about those early marches and what it felt like to be a Newcastle Pride pioneer. I'm Norman. I'm now in my early 70s. I lived in the North East from 1973 to 1993 and was involved in a lot of lesbian and gay LGBTQ groups from 
CHE, the Campaign for Homosexual Equality, to the Tyneside Gay Teenagers Group, as it was called, in the 70s and 80s. You mentioned going to Pride in Newcastle in uh, in the 70s. I just wanted to ask what that was like. I know that now there's a lot of talk about Pride becoming too commercialised, you know, lots of companies get involved, and there's always a the thing where it's like, oh, Pride was originally a protest, and people feel like we've lost some of that now. So I just wanted to ask what kind of, what Pride was like back then. It was quite a liberating but quite scary experience, and it was probably 100 people. Uh, I can't remember what year it is. I think it was the mid-70s. So, so, so they were they were quite liberating, but you know, you would just have a hundred people with flags and banners walking down from Gray's Monument, you know, um, down Gray Street, or you know, through the big market, and then I can't even remember where where we finished up. I don't, I don't think at that point it finished up in Exhibition Park. I think it did in later years. Well, I know it did in later years. So we would hand out leaflets and some, but on the whole, the the response wasn't negative, um, but it wasn't positive, shall we say? You know? But it was, but it was liberating to actually take part in that and to be together. There'd already been a gay pride march, I think, in seventy-two or three. There were two organisations on the go at that time. It was the Gay Liberation Front, which were a very radical and a very noisy anarchist sort of setup, and CHE, which was for the posh people who did it properly. You know, that was by talking to MPs and forming committees and this, that, and the other. So that was more my style. Anyway, I belong to CHE and I got. Uh, friendly with a chap called Tim, Timothy Bolton Maggs, who'd already been, uh, he, he was um, very straight-laced, very, very um, proper. Uh, I wasn't quite as straight-laced as he was, and I was young and silly, and I decided, well, why don't we have a, another go at making a gay pride march? And... Uh, all we needed to do was have some, some placards, some people, and it was very difficult to get people to, to, to volunteer for actually doing the marching up and down. Um, all we did, wanted to do was just to march down Northumberland Street, the main shopping street in Newcastle, um, just mill around the uh, Gray's Monument area um, on a Saturday and make an impact, uh, eventually we did. That's what we did do. That was 1975. Um, I guess there would have been about, let me see, ooh, 40 or 50 people. Not, not a massive event at all, but it, it, it piqued interest. It didn't make the Time Tees news, um, although we did tell them about it. We didn't get a very warm welcome, I've got to say. Um, a bit nervous to start with. I wasn't sure whether we were going to get pelted with rotten eggs and so on from members of the public. Um, the following year, we decided to do something a little bit different on Valentine's Day. 
we decided to dress up in pink and fluffy costumes and parade up and down being a bit of a joke to do with Valentine's Day. And that did make an impact. That, I think the, um, the Chronicle took an interest in that. Um, they weren't very complimentary. I mean, didn't exactly call us perverts, but very, very, very nearly did. Uh, and then that, later that year, we did a, a much bigger um, gay pride. Um, and CHE was very much involved in that. And, and uh, the, the Gay Liberation Front side of things also uh, had, had their, um, their banners and their um, demonstrations, but they, they were beginning to decline. The, the shine was rubbing off. And um, I think by about 1976, 77 or thereabouts, um, GLF had more or less folded and the people had come through, or, or those that wanted to, the activists had come through onto, into CHE. The next few years after the first couple were a lot more organised. It wasn't me that was doing it, it was a group of people who were doing it and, and bringing it all together. Uh, it wasn't a commercial thing, there weren't any sponsors, there weren't any um, people from local industries flying the flag, there were none of that. It was just individuals coming together to make a noise. And I can remember that first one that was really successful. Um, we, we met before the march in the underpass, or the, on, yes, you see, there's a bridge at the edge of Exhibition Park where the, the tail end of the motorway goes over a, a, a footpath. We were met in there, it's a large cavernous area, and we were making noise, and of course it echoed, and we, we really felt empowered by this noise that we were making, and that set us off for the rest of the march. We were, we were amped and we were proud, and we didn't care who heard it. And that, that was, that was the, the way that the, the gay pride marches should be and were. And we've, I've been on a number of them uh, more recently, and of course there are many, many more people involved. Uh, when you stand, you stand in Blackett Street, and it takes 45 minutes to an hour for everyone to come past. It's amazing. Uh, everybody from the fire brigade to the nurses' union, to everybody's there waving a flag and having fun. And that's what it should be, yes. Yeah, except that it would never be if it hadn't been for people like you standing in a tunnel in the 1970s. That's right, yeah. So we're on those shoulders, aren't we? We're... Oh, that's right. I'd... I don't present myself as being anything special, I was just there at the time. If yeah. you stand in that chasm underneath that motorway and there's only five or six of you and you make a noise, it echoes around and it gives you power, it gives you that impetus to go yeah. on. And that's, that, that is the, my abiding memory of, of gay pride, that's what the, the point at which it took off. It, it wasn't just a, a, a couple of individuals waving banners and being spat at by the general public. This was us being out loud and proud. What became apparent when exploring the history of Newcastle Pride in these interviews was how easily our history gets lost when it's not documented for the wider community. 
when we spoke to Sarah Jelly and Emma Holiday, who are up next, about their involvement in setting up Pride on Tyne in the early 90s, they thought they were setting up the first Newcastle Pride and had no idea that LGBTQ plus people had been proudly marching through the city streets 20 years beforehand. That's why it's so important to have projects like Handing on a History to counter this and to record and archive our queer history. Otherwise, we are continually reinventing the wheel and not knowingly building on the learning and culture of what came before us. Well, basically, we started the first Pride um, as the collective Rock and Doris. We just one day, we went to the London Pride, I can remember that, or I used to go quite a lot, came back, and I, as I was going back, I was thinking, this doesn't feel like, I don't want to go to London. One, it's really expensive. Two, you've got to have somewhere to stay. And three, nobody knows where to go in the evening because it's like such a big city. And on the way back, I thought, why don't we just, we could get a few people together, like a few different groups, um, and start our own pride. So we basically, as Rock and Doris Collective, had a meeting and put a call out to people that we thought might be interested in working for now and working at a community level, that, that different organisations and stuff. Uh, and that's how we started it. And we, we got it together. We had that meeting in February and we were doing Pride in June, July. So yeah, we literally July. put it together in a few months and it was a yeah. massive success. And I think we'd sort of started off with the ethos that we wanted to deliver Pride free at the point of entry. So it, it was a levelling um, board for everybody to have access to come in. So money wouldn't be an issue. I went around shaking buckets, that's what yeah, I know. <laughs> Selling raffle tickets and asking people for donations and asking bands and performers to play for nothing. But you could, and then we had stalls which were Mesmac and all the different uh, organisations that would support us. They paid a bit, didn't they, to have yeah, a store? 20 quid or something, tops. Yeah, and then I think within that, we had personal interests, like, you know, the football, the art show came out of that. Um, oh, what was the, what's the literary one called? Queer? Proud Words. Proud Words. Yeah. Uh, and, they and the pet have, show, we keep forgetting to mention the pet yeah. show. And they have been solid foundations that people have built on to, till today. They might have changed their form and shape a little bit and name, but that's where Pride came from. It was just loaded like-minded people that just said, let's do it, let's do it. How are we going to do it? Book the uni and started having regular meetings at various places around the city and inviting people to come. Um, we were trying not to be too exclusive, but we did actually focus on people that we thought what those two things, which would be community-based and work for nothing, because we had nothing. We had no funding. We weren't. We didn't want funding at that point because no. uh, we felt that, well, everything was quite anti-queer, and we thought, oh, I don't want funding from the council because they're just going to make us jump through hoops and fill in loads of forms. And then someone suggested, why don't we get Smirnoff on board? And we went, no, there's no way we're having a big commercial company. Um, yeah, and then there's a, yeah, we just, we raised the money ourselves. Getting together to do stuff for it really helps you widen your social circle and make connections. So in that way, I think it was really important. And I think Pride on Time then inspired other cities to do the yeah. same thing, bands would come, and then they'd go and do it in their own city. I think it's probably much more lesbian-led than others. Mm. 
it's much more women friendly. Yeah. I mean, not that others weren't necessarily women friendly, but gay culture, as often it was called, lesbian often missed off. Not that there's not crossovers, but it would be often much more sort of traditional gay men's culture and the lesbian stuff would be a little sidebar. Very true. Um, whereas ours was the flip. I think that's that's quite a Newcastle unique story. When I talked to all the prides, we were definitely one of the very few that was, there were lots and lots of women. And the other thing, Melody, that you were saying about March is we didn't have a March. So that was unusual, in fact, for prides not to have a March. But we just didn't feel there was enough safety in numbers and that it was quite a big thing. And I don't know whether we, whether that was feedback or whether that was just our fears that we project, but it didn't feel, it felt like too, too big a, too risky a thing to march through the city. We didn't feel ready for that. The Pride Picnic was the public thing that happened on the sort of grass near St. Thomas's Church in the Civic Centre. And it was the most out event of Pride, wasn't it? And honestly, that first Pride was tremendous. It was like, be you know, be stiff on my beating heart, like a hundred mile radius, people coming all over, everybody. It was just fantastic. Handing On Our History was created by Alice Thwaite and Richard Bliss and is an equal arts project funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. This podcast was produced and edited by Julie Ballins with music composed by Sarah Vangeli. The activists sharing their stories were Norman Powell, Tim Pickford-Smith, Sarah Vangeli and Emma Holiday. And they were interviewed by Jesse Alexander, Melody Sprouts, Alice Thwaite and Richard Bliss. If you are interested in accessing the full oral history interviews for research or other projects, please contact handingonourhistory at gmail.com.